Good morning. The reading this morning is 2 Samuel chapter 3. That can be found on page 306 of the Pew Bibles. Page 306. The war between the house of Saul and the house of David lasted a long time. David grew stronger and stronger, while the house of Saul grew weaker and weaker. Sons were born to David in Hebron. His firstborn was Amnon, the son of Ahinoam of Jezreel. His second, Kiliab, the son of Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. The third, Absalom, the son of Makkah, daughter of Talmai, king of Geshur. The fourth, Adonijah, the son of Haggith. The fifth, Sephetali, the son of Abital. And the sixth, Ithriam, the son of David's wife, Eglah. These were born to David in Hebron. During the war between the house of Saul and the house of David, Abner had been strengthening his own position in the house of Saul. Now Saul had a concubine named Rizpah, a daughter of Aiha. And Ishbosheth said to Abner, Why did you sleep with my father's concubine? Abner was angry because of what Ishbosheth said. So he answered, Am I a dog's head on Judah's side? This very day I am loyal to the house of your father Saul and to his family and friends. I haven't handed you over to David, yet now you accuse me of an offence involving this woman. May God deal with Abner, be it ever so severely, if I, don't, if I do not do for David what the Lord promised him an oath, and transfer the kingdom from the house of Saul and establish David's throne over Israel and Judah from Dan to Beersheba. Ishbosheth did not dare to say another word to Abner because he was afraid of him. Then Abner sent messages on his behalf to say to David, Whose land is it? Make an agreement with me, and I will help you bring all Israel over to you. Good, said David, I will make an agreement with you, but I demand one thing of you. Do not come into my presence unless you bring Michal, daughter of Saul, when you come to see me. Then David sent messengers to Ishboseth, son of Saul, demanding, Give me my wife Michal, whom I betrothed to myself, for the price of a hundred Philistine foreskins. So Ishbosheth gave orders and had her taken away from her husband Paltiel, son of Laish. Her husband, however, went with her, weeping behind her all the way to Barium. Then Abner said to him, Go back home. So he went back. Abner conferred with the, conferred with the elders of Israel and said, for some time you have wanted to make David your king. Now do it. For the Lord promised David, by my servant David, I will rescue my people Israel from the hands of the Philistines and from the hands of all their enemies. Abner also spoke to the Benjamites in person. Then he went to Ebron to tell David everything that Israel and the whole tribe of Benjamin wanted to do. When Abner, who had 20 men with him, came to David at Hebron, David prepared a feast for him and his men. Then Abner said to David, 
Let me go at once and assemble all Israel for my Lord the King, so that they may make a covenant with you, and that you may rule over all that your heart desires. So David sent Abner away, and he went in peace. Just then David's men and Joab returned from a raid and brought with them a great deal of plunder. But Abner was no longer with David in Hebron, because David had sent him away and he had gone in peace. When Joab and all the soldiers with him arrived, he was told that Abner, son of Ner, had come to the king, and that the king had sent him away, and that he had gone in peace. So Joab went to the king and said, What have you done? Look, Abner came to you. Why did you let him go? Now he is gone. You know Abner, son of Ner, he came to deceive you and observes your movements and find out everything you are doing. Joab then left David and sent messengers after Abner, and they brought him back from the cistern at Sirah. But David did not know it. Now when Abner returned to Hebron, Joab took him aside into an inner chamber as if to speak to him privately. And there, to avenge the blood of his brother Ashel, Joab stabbed him in the stomach, and he died. Later, when David heard about this, he said, I and my kingdom are forever innocent before the Lord concerning the blood of Abner, son of Ner. May his blood fall on the head of Joab and of his whole family. May Joab's family never be without someone who is a running sore or leprosy, or who leans on a crutch, or who falls by the sword, or who lacks food. Job and his brother Abishel murdered Abner because he had killed their brother Ashel in the battle of Gibeon. Then David said to Job and all the people with him, Tear your clothes and put on sackcloth and walk in mourning in front of Abner. King David himself walked behind the bier. They buried Abner in Hebron, and the king wept aloud at Abner's tomb. And all the people wept also. The king sang this lament for Abner. Should Abner have died as the lawless die? Your hands were not bound, your feet were not fettered. You fell as one falls before the wicked. And all the people wept over him again. Then they all came and urged David to eat something while it was still day. But David took an oath, saying, May God deal with me, be it ever so severely, if I taste bread or anything else before the sun sets. All the people took note and were pleased. Indeed, everything the king did pleased them. So on that day, all the people there and all Israel knew that the king had no part in the murder of Abner, son of Ner. Then the king said to his men, Do you not realize that a commander and a great man has fallen in Israel this day? And today, though I am the anointed king, I am weak, and these sons of Zeruiah are too strong for me. May the Lord repay the evildoer according to his evil deeds. This is the word of the Lord. And well, well done, Alistair. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you for reading that long passage. 
Um, let's pray. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. And uh, even at times when it's so, it seems very hard to us, we pray that you'll help us to understand it. We pray that your spirit will be at work amongst us to see you and see your son Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Maintaining a, a government, maintaining a kingdom, uh, involves upheaval, doesn't it? Um, especially when uh, there's a change in leadership. It, it can take its toll on, on everyone in lots of different ways. Uh, we are a week away, aren't we, from the coronation of King Charles III, and it's been anything but easy, has it, of the coronation, if you think about it. Um, not least dealing with the death, the longest-serving monarch in our history. But then there's the family issues, aren't there? Are the Sussexes going to turn up or, or not? Who's going to be there? Where are they going to sit? It's all in the papers. There's the court case going on as well, isn't there? There's all kinds of things going on. There's the papers full of questions about the king and what that will mean. What's the monarchy like these days? So establishing a government, establishing a kingdom... Um, with a new leader, it can be really messy business, can't it? Really messy business. It can be costly in many ways. And what we see in 2 Samuel is something similar, isn't it? We see something very similar. In fact, it's very messy and it's very bloody as well. We have David, who is the anointed king, as promised by the Lord, yet the way to his coronation is massively complicated. So please do keep your Bibles open at page 306. That'll be really helpful. We're going to flip back a little bit into chapter 2 because that'll help us. Um, please do follow along on, uh, at page 2305 and 306. And I want us to see two really big uh, kind of themes that are going on here. And the first is I want us to notice um, the godless the godless circumstances into which the new king and the new kingdom um, appears. And what we see is two main characters. There is uh, Abner. Abner is the captain of King Saul's army in the north. And uh, Saul is now dead. And Joab is the captain of King David's army in Judea in the south. And if you look in verse 12 of chapter 2, it says this, Abner, son of Ner, together with his men of Ishbosheth, and I'm going to use his nickname, which is Ishbi, a bit like a, a rapper's name, I suppose, like Jay-Z. It's just easier for me to say. <laughs> Ishbi, okay. I should have told you that, really. Should I have before? <laughs> you can do that. Um, left Mahananaim and went to Gibeon. If you look at the map, you can see uh, what's going on here. You've got uh, uh, Abner in the north and you've got Joab in the south. And first of all, what we need to see is that Abner is the aggressor. He's the one coming from the north down to the south to Gibeah um, for a battle. So what happens at Gibeon? What happens there is that they basically have this kind of royal rumble. You know those kind of fights that they have in the... Um, uh, um, in, in sort of wrestling, where they all get into the, into the ring. Well, this is a kind of thing like that. They decide to have a 12-on-12 match-off. 
<laughs> and uh, that's what you read in chapter two. And you know what? Essentially, they all die. They kill each other. Um, and so it doesn't work out very well. And verse 17 in that chapter tells us that it goes on to a wider battle. Um, with Asherhel, who was Joab's brother, remember that, Joab's brother, Asherhel, chasing Abner to try and kill the captain, to try and get the kind of spoil of the main man, you know. There's a pride, isn't it, in it? Well, Asherhel um, appears to be really good at middle distance running. Uh, in that chapter, and he catches up with Abner, and he yells, uh, and yet Abner yells at him, stop, stop, verse 22. Um, But Asherhel keeps um, coming for him, and verse 23 says this, Asherhel refused to give up the pursuit, so Abner thrust the butt. I'm going to add a few of those in, just to keep you awake, okay? Butt of his spear into Asherhel's stomach, and the spear came out through his back. Isn't that a lovely picture? (laughs) He fell there and died on the spot. At this point, Abner realized, you know, what's going on? He called out to Joab, saying, This is going to devour us all, verse 26. And so they depart. Abner goes back north. Uh, back home with his men to lick his wounds to the north. Uh, And it was actually an utter disaster for Abner, the aggressor. He lost. He's a loser. Okay? Uh, And um, Joab wins. So that's Abner, the aggressor. What does Abner do next? Well, he goes through a different tactic, don't you? That's what you do, isn't it? And the different tactic he tries is Abner the power grabber. Verses, uh, verse 6. During the war between... This is chapter 3 now. Verse 6. During the war between the house of Saul and the house of David, Abner had been strengthening his, power, his own position in the house of Saul. Now Saul has a concubine named Rizpah, daughter of Aiah. And Ishbi said to Abner, Why did you sleep with my father's concubine? Now, Ishbi is sort of a bit like a puppet king of the, the north, of Saul's son. He may be weak, but he was not stupid to what Abner was up to. Um, when someone took their, their concubine or, or their wife, it was basically acclaiming the kingship. It's kind of grabbing power. That's how, how uh, it happened. Um, He's a power, it's a power grab, and Ish B knew it, and he, he basically calls him out. And you see, Abner was trying to take over the kingdom by sleeping to the top, effectively. And Ish B wasn't going to roll over a Saul's son and just take it lightly. And Abner actually responds here in verses 9 and 10 with a kind of, it's a little bit, so if that's your attitude, I'm going to switch sides. <laughs> basically. Um, and he's kind of doing it, seems, seemingly, a little bit out of spite. And he says, is he going to side with David now and help transfer the kingdom to David? His motives might be very mixed, but he's going to transfer the power. So Abner makes a, tries to make a power grab. He loses again. And it's sour grapes. He goes to the other side. So what does Abner do next? 
Abner then becomes the diplomat. Do you see this in verse 12 to 21? As he goes to David at Hebron to seal the deal and make a, a treaty. Before he goes, he, he chats to the tribes, he makes sure they're on board. Particularly, he goes to Benjamin. Why? Because that's Saul's uh, uh, tribe and he wants to break, make sure they're on board. He does a diplomatic tour, doesn't he? That's what leaders do make sure everybody's on board. And um, then he, they have the summit in Hebron, they sign a peace accord. Uh, they agree, uh, and the northern tribes are going to support David as the anointed king. Hooray, it's going to be coronation day. I didn't know they did that anymore. That's a reference to Disney if you, you, if you watch Frozen. Uh, it's a bad, bad joke, because it didn't work in the morning, the other one did it. So, um, so it's good. you think coronation is on, on the verge here. And everyone lives happily ever after, and we can all go home. That's not the case, is it? So we have Abner, who has um, been on quite a journey. He's been the aggressor, he's been a power grabber, and now he is being the diplomat, okay? But then enter stage left is Joab the Savage. Joab the Savage, isn't it? It seems that Joab wasn't there when Abner came to Hebron. They were on a raid. He comes in, he hears what's happened, and he flips his lid, <laughs> doesn't he, with David? He goes berserk. He gives him a right earful, saying, Abner's just trying to deceive you. And so he sends message to Abner, uh, verse 26, to come back. Abner probably thinks nothing of it because he thinks, um, oh, maybe it's just the king is sending for some notes of clarification uh, with the civil service. He doesn't expect anything. And why would he expect anything at all? Because if you notice in the text, three times it tells us that he went away in peace. Verses 21, 22, 23, the writer is telling us that. David had said so, that there was peace between them. But Abner calls him back, and so they meet at the city gate. Joab and, uh, and Abner, and uh, uh, just making sure. And Abner is assassinated by Joab. Verse 27, look how deceitful it is. Joab took Abner aside into the inner chamber as if to speak with him privately, and there to avenge the blood of his brother Ashahel, the athlete, Remember? Job stabbed him in the stomach and he died. Now you see, David now has a big problem. Do you see? He has a big problem. He has a, a diplomatic crisis, effectively. He has a public relations disaster on his hands. Um, he's been, he has to bend over backwards to show that it wasn't his idea. Verse 28, I and my kingdom are forever innocent before the Lord concerning the blood of Abner. May his blood fall on the head of Joah. You see, he's, he knows what people are going to say. People are going to say, oh, how convenient for David. You know, one of, your, one of your, your rivals is now off the scene. Oh, I see what you've done there. People are going to assume that, aren't they? He, he has to send his PR team out. <laughs> as well, to, 
into overdrive to, to make sure people knew the truth. And then there's what to do with Joab. And we'll come back to that at the end. But the killing of Abner by Joab was revenge for his brother's death, for his brother's murder. Yet Abner, if you remember, killed Abishel, sorry, Asahel in self-defense, didn't he? Because it was Asahel who, who came after him, he kept pursuing him, it was in the context of a battle that was different. Yet this was what? Well, it was cold-blooded, calculated, premeditated, manipulative murder. Brutal savagery on the part of Joab. So that is Joab the savage. What do we make of that this morning? (laughs) You're thinking, aren't you? Well, I was thinking that a few days ago. (laughs) We might even object. You know, I didn't come here this morning... Um, to hear about a a woman grabbing, self-serving, conspiring, thug and murderer. Why do I need to know about Abner's and Joab's? Why do I need to bury myself in all this sort of power-hungry, brown-nosing, duplicit, revenge-filled violence? Why, why Why can't we have some positive examples and role models? Why can't we just read Philippians all day? Can't we just think about, think about the kids and how impressionable they will be? We need heroes. Why do I have to wade through this kind of stuff of losers and cutthroats on the eve of the coronation? <laughs> Maybe we are one of those people who don't really like reading the Old Testament. Too much blood and brutality. But you know, that's exactly why Christians do read the Old Testament. And in actual fact, that is why we must read it, why we must read our Bibles fully. You see, the Holy Spirit tells us that the story, in all its reality, in all its brutal reality, that this is really is the way things are, without editing, without san- sanitising it to, to cover up the stink and the stench, because it does stink and it does stench, doesn't it? We need the real story and we need to pay attention because this is our world. This is the truth. This war-making, religious, using, envy-driven, power-grabbing, vortex of hatred, malice, greed, bitterness, revenge. Is it not our world? And actually, I'll go further. This is our hearts, isn't it? Because the reality is that that is what Jesus said. Jesus says, doesn't he, in Mark 7, verse 21, he says, for it is within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come, sexual immorality, theft, murder, greed, malice, Deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, folly. All these evil come from inside. So it's very sobering. These are the godless circumstances in which the king and the kingdom appears. 
It was then, it was in Jesus' days, and it is in our day as well. Is there any hope? Yeah, there is hope. Hallelujah, there's hope. Um, and ironically, it's Abner who strikes the note of hope. Uh, he may have a mixture of motives in verses 9 and 10, but he does recognize that the Lord has anointed King David. He's promised that to establish his kingdom. In verse 18, the elders say, now do it. Let's do this. For the Lord promised David, by my servant David, I will rescue my people Israel from the hands of the Philistines. This, it says to us, doesn't it, amongst all the bloodiness and the hatred and the violence, there is an order that the Lord has established. And he's promised to do that through his king, his anointed one. He has chosen him and he's going to deliver his people, Israel, through him. And this means, and this means that he, it's through that means that he's going to bring order out of all the chaos and all the mess. And of course, we know that now, don't we, with the, the light of Jesus and the, the New Testament, it, it goes beyond David. It, it's the Davidic line, isn't it? Uh, and it's the line of the kings that culminate in the son of David, the son of God, Jesus Christ, who sits on the throne at the right hand of the Lord God Almighty. So there is blood, there is turmoil, there is chaos um, going on en route to the coronation. Yet in the middle, God has appointed his king and established his kingdom. And that should give us an element of stability and hope. Stability and hope in the midst of all this uh, chaos and blood-dripping mess of a world that we live in and we see around us. You know, in an increasingly godless nation, in an increasingly difficult time, both inside and outside the, the church, it is important, it's really important that we hold on to that, this hope and this stability that the anointed one brings, King Jesus brings. It's really important. In an unstable world, hope of Jesus and the stability he brings. You know, um, as I was looking into this sermon, I came across um, a book by uh, Cornelius Ryan, The Last Battle. He's a historian. Uh, and in it, he, he talks about the fall of Berlin at the end of the, the Second World War. Uh, and in it, he talks about the devastation, um, that how the, the Russians had particularly pounded it, flattened it. Um, it, was, it was brutal. It was messy. There was very little left of Berlin at that point. It was chaos. Yet there were two things he said that were not interrupted for the German people. Well, one was the meteorological um, reports that came in. The, the, the weather station was kept going. And the other thing that was, was kept going was the production of beer. <laughs> 11 out of the 17 breweries were unaffected. Apparently it was by order of the, the German hierarchy. And so in the midst of all this chaos and ruins, the, the, the historian reports that there was this stability of weather and beer. So, <laughs> now, now, I'm not saying that's the stability that we need, although those things can be good. It's cheery, isn't it? The weather's picked up, and I do like a beer. But in a more serious, more serious way, 
We all need something stable that goes beyond, don't we? Something that goes way beyond. And in a way, we have two massive things here, don't we, that we can lean on. In a godless world, there's the kingdom of God that Jesus said he has brought and that he is king. He is reigning. He is ruling. And in him we have hope. In him we have stability. I don't know, perhaps you're struggling right now with all sorts of things. Maybe it's things within the world, but maybe it's within your own life and and your own hearts. Um, Hold on to Jesus. It's a simple message. Hold on to him who brings stability and hope uh, because he's the only place that you can find it. That's the first big point. The second one is shorter. (laughs) Notice the disappointment. The second thing is, notice the disappointment that we meet in God's servants. Verse 1 says, David grew stronger and stronger while the house of Saul grew weaker and weaker. Now, this is a really dangerous point as David gets stronger and stronger. And this is what can happen with leaders when they get stronger and stronger. It actually becomes a very dangerous moment doesn't it? And so the power is shifting to David. Uh, And what we see, verses 2 to 5, chapter 3, tells us about the sons born to David. And he's he's doing that because it's showing us a sign of his strength, a sign of his dynasty. Um, But notice there he had six wives. Don't overlook that. He had six wives. He's accumulating and, and this, of course, was not according to God's word. If you go to Deuteronomy 17, it tells you all about the, how the king was to be established. And in verse 17, it specifically warns future king not to do that. Why? Because that's what all the nations did. He's beginning to amass a dynasty And it goes against the express command of the Lord and how the king should function. See, what David is doing, he's copying the culture around him. He's simply mirroring the culture around him, doing what kings did. That's how they showed their strength, many wives, many concubines, to, to show their power and their strength. They make political alliances through that way. But that was not the way that God had commanded They were meant to be different as a sign to the world around them that they were different and distinct. And so departing from the word of God is a serious business. It's really serious for us. You see what people do and say in the culture, what people say in the culture and what people say, what God's words say, and they just, they they do butt up against each other. That's the reality of it. And you know how it all works out. Just read the rest of of 2 Samuel. It works out in David's life. What happens? There's Bathsheba, for example, but there's the consequences of all the, the, of his sons that works out, which be be a, a, a whole problem for him. I suppose the question we have to ask ourselves is, do we follow the culture as David did, or do we follow God's word and his command? How was David so blind? Well, we can be so blind too, you know. I know I can. So often we're blind to how culture affects us because it's just the air we breathe around us, isn't it? 
Sometimes we copy culture and we don't even realize, we just mimic it. I don't know how that works out. Maybe it's in the things that we watch, the things that we do, perhaps it's in the the people we mix with and and how we operate in our work and in, in our offices. Perhaps it's our attitude to each other, to other people who are not like us. I don't know. There are many ways in which we're in danger of just copying the culture. What do we need? We need the word of God, just as David needed the word of God to show us that the Holy Spirit pounds our hearts with it so we see it and understand it. David had many wives. But we also see that, uh, that David was weak on justice here. Verses 26 to 39. Um, so we, after Joab um, assassinates Abner, David uh, uh, curses Joab, he makes him mourn, he makes him go out uh, in front of the mourning party, he makes a display of it, that it was wrong. But here's the question, why did David not bring justice on Joab? Um, Joab killed, Joab killed Abner in a calculated, premeditated murder, wasn't it? Where's the justice? Are you okay? He's making a display of him. Where's the justice? He's the king, isn't he? What is the point of a king? To rule with justice, isn't it? And righteousness. We sing about it. He should have been brought to justice. Was it because Joab was David's nephew? So there's a relationship there. Was it because David feared losing his commander-in-chief? All possible. Who knows? David made a right public song and dance about Abner's murder, but there was no justice. Why? Well, let's remember um, the fallibility of God's servants in the Bible. It's really important that we do that. Even the finest, uh, and we need to, to do the same today with our our leaders in, in government, in any form of leadership, uh, church leaders, um, small group leaders, we, we expect so much. And yet the reality is we will fail. We do fail all the time. We're fallible sinners like everybody else. And so as we keep that in view, we, we remember, though, don't we? We remember with rejoicing that King Jesus is the only infallible person who's ever lived. Who is the righteous one who dies for the unrighteous. You see, uh, the Bible shows us that justice has to be done, doesn't it? Justice has to be done, and either it's done through the death of our Lord Jesus on the cross, dying in our place on the cross. Hallelujah. And by faith we receive that. Or it remains on our heads. That's the stark reality, isn't it? That's where we are. And that's why the good news of Jesus Christ is so wonderful and important to us. You see, David here is weak, 
Verse 38 shows us, Then the king said to his men, Do you not realize that a commander and a great man has fallen in Israel today? And today, though I am the anointed king, I am weak. You see, David knew his weakness. He's not able to save his people. He's not able to rule and reign with righteousness and justice. David is not the true Messiah. And actually, that's a warning to us all, isn't it? Um, Don't put our our, um, God's servants on a pedestal. Don't make any leader into a a Messiah figure. Uh, They will only disappoint. The story is meant to be correcting us so that we will lift our eyes to the only one who is the Messiah, who rules with righteousness and justice, who saves us, who is infallible and perfect, who is able to save, who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Perfect justice. In a world of godlessness and chaos, let's just lift our eyes to him. He's the only one who can save us. He's the only one who can rule with perfect justice. He is the only one who does all things well. And he will never disappoint you. If you look to him, he will never disappoint you. Father, we we come before you um, this morning and pray um, that you will indeed keep us focused on the Lord Jesus, who is the true Messiah, who is the one who brings hope and stability in, the, in amongst all the chaos and the mess around us. We pray that we look to King Jesus, who rules perfectly. Thank you that you loved us so much that you sent him into this world to die for us so we wouldn't die. We thank you and praise you. We just come before Jesus and pray that he will be our true Messiah now and always. Amen. Amen.